Welcome to the Talking Tall Rounds series, brought to you by the Seidel and Arnold Miller Family Heart, Vascular, and Thoracic Institute at Cleveland Clinic. Today at Tall Rounds, we had a great discussion about adult cardiac ECMO. We featured six of our colleagues from cardiac surgery, interventional cardiology, ICU, and perfusion, as well as heart failure cardiology, to discuss the various options available for patients with acute cardiogenic shock. We spoke about the advantages of ECMO as well as the disadvantages. Please join us for this great discussion. So we'll now hear from um, Mike Tong, and uh, who will talk to us about indications, um, strategies, and management and indications for um, cardiogenic shock. Mike. Thanks, Ed. So in the case of hammer described in a patient with acute myocardial infarction and cardiogenic shock, the mortality for that patient is extremely high. We know from the shock trial that in patients who have cardiogenic shock in a setting of an MI, irregardless of if you revascularize them or not, their mortality is going to be around 50%. And in patients who undergo cardiac surgery who have postcardiotomy cardiogenic shock, the mortality will increase exponentially with the greater the cardiogenic shock and the greater the inotropic requirements that you need post-surgery. And um, the reason for this is because even though you've revascularized the patients, the recovery of the myocardium can take many days for it to, for it to, to, to happen. And the patients during that time can succumb from low cardiac output and multi-organ failure. The goals of acute emergency mechanical circuitry support therefore, is to restore and stabilize these patients during the first critical couple of days while you're waiting for the revascularization to, to, um, to improve the myocardial function. And uh, the support system can also maintain the end organ perfusion and minimize ongoing myocardial loss. It does, and to do that, you need to unload the injured ventricle, both pressure and volume. You need to wean the toxic levels of inotropic and pressure support and give you a safe bridge to either recovery to transplant or to a durable permanent device. When we think about what we want out of a mechanical surgery device, we have certain characteristics that we always look for. We want one that is versatile enough that can provide a wide range of support from LV only, RV only, BI-V, or one that can also provide pulmonary support in the case of a lung injury. We want a device that can be easily inserted, easily maintained, and easy to remove. We want one that's biocompatible, that's non-thrombogenic, and has minimal hemolysis, one that will allow patients to mobilize, and one that's cost-effective. Unfortunately, we don't have a device that can fulfill all these criteria, but we do have a family of devices that fit certain components of these criteria. And depending on what the patients need, we can tailor the device to what the patients need, depending on his or her condition. So when we choose a device, the first questions we got to always answer is, what part of the heart does the patient need support? And um, of course, some patients have isolated left ventricular failure, and we just need to support the LV. Other patients need RV support. Other patients will have biventricular need. And of course, uh, those, some patients will also have pulmonic needs. And we have a myriad of devices, and really we have five family of, of uh, short-term devices, starting with the IABP on the left side, we have the ECMO, the platform, which can provide RV support, BIV support, and pulmonary support. We have the Centromag platform that's versatile that can be reconfigured in to support any system that we need. 
the impellas um, come in at the left side of support and the RP for the right support and in certain situations we'll use both the left and the right for bivy support and the tandem heart also can be used for left support and there's a protect duo tandem heart which is a, a specific cannula that's uh, used specifically for the right side support. We haven't uh, used that here but uh, hopefully we'll have that on the shelf available for us in the, uh, in the near future. The next question we want to answer is how much support does the patient need? And um, with these devices, each have a maximum amount of flow that they can deliver. The IABP on the left side typically will augment cardiac, in the, cardiac output by about half a liter to one liter. The percutaneous devices with the tandem heart and the impella percutaneous devices can augment typically by about two to three liters. And the Centromag and the Impella 5.0 will, will be able to provide almost full flow for the patients. The amount of support that these devices can deliver also correlates with their ease of insertion. And starting on the left side, the balloon pump, of course, is the easiest to insert. It can be done percutaneously at the bedside. And as we move to the right side, you, you have devices that require a peripheral cutdown. And on the far right side, uh, the central mags and the central ECMOs will require full sternotomy. The one outlier, of course, is the ECMO on the top left corner. As we know, these devices can provide a full support and can be inserted at the bedside percutaneously without any imaging, and this is by far the most useful attribute of ECMO. Now, looking more specifically at ECMO, the, uh, like I alluded to, this, the, the most beneficial effect of the ECMO is the fact that we can deploy this rapidly at the bedside, and it's extremely versatile. Um, and it, it's usually readily available at all times and at most facilities, and um, it can provide full biventricular support and pulmonary support. The downsides of ECMO, however, is that because you have a large arterial cannula, these patients are prone to having limb ischemia, which we've uh, mainly mitigated by a liberal usage of a reperfusion cannula. Also, these patients cannot mobilize, they're bedridden typically, and because of the high afterload, the ECMO can lead to LV distension, which really can limit the degree of cardiac recovery in the patient who have already um, a very weak heart. The increase, the afterload also can lead to pulmonary hypertension and pulmonary hemorrhage, as well as uh, LV thrombosis in cases where you have stasis. To counter some of these effects, typically ECMO is coupled with either a balloon pump or, uh, more recently, with an impella to allow for the LV to decompress. So if we uh, look at when we feel here that ECMO is the most appropriate for us to use, typically when we, we have patients who have severe biventricular failure and who are arresting uh, because, or those who have malignant arrhythmias, as these uh, devices will allow us to have a full biventricular support with the with a pulmonary support. Patients who have cardiac failure and respiratory failure will also benefit from ECMO with the oxygenator and also facilities where in situations where imaging is not readily available and, uh, and we need to deploy something without, uh, without the guide of any imaging. So now currently, once we have a patient on ECMO, typically we don't leave them on ECMO unless we feel that they can recover very quickly. Once we have them stabilized on ECMO, then we'll think of a, a newer strategy, a different strategy that we can uh, then employ to either get the patient to a long-term durable device or a patient who, uh, who we can uh, try to ambulate and get, the, get 
buy them more time so that we have um, a next uh, next treatment for them. Thank you. We're going to hear now from um, Dr. Krishnaswamy about um, echo uh, ECMO in the cath lab, as a number of our patients um, either get transferred here on ECMO uh, or it is placed um, uh, in the cath lab. Uh, thanks, Ed, for the invitation, and thanks for coming this morning. So I'd like to discuss uh, how we offer hemodynamic support in the cardiac cath lab and how we think about it from uh, an interventional section standpoint. So we, of course, have the options of balloon pump support, Impella, and ECMO, and the most common clinical scenarios we encounter are either those patients with cardiogenic shock complicating an acute MI, uh, those patients for whom we're performing a high-risk or protected PCI, uh, and those patients coming with cardiogenic shock. Generally speaking, uh, for the acute MI patients, we provide one of these three options. Those patients who come for a protected PCI usually either have the option of a balloon pump or impella, and those patients in cardiogenic shock generally have a balloon pump placed elsewhere and are coming to us, to us either for impella or ECMO insertion. If we look specifically at the protected PCI group, uh, in truth, the supporting data for general use is pretty marginal, although in specific clinical scenarios, uh, the operator decision for a balloon pump versus impella may be very important. What we consider uh, generally as a group are patient factors, such as uh, significant LV dysfunction, borderline blood pressures or poor cardiac output, elevated filling pressures without the opportunity for further optimization, or significant valvular heart disease such as MR or aortic valve stenosis. With regard to anatomic considerations, if this is a patient for whom we're intervening on a last remaining conduit or opening a chronic total occlusion via a last remaining conduit, those patients who are considered high risk based on the left side uh, features and who also have multivessel disease in uh, need of PCI, or high-risk patients in need of extensive atherectomy, which is also hemodynamically tenuous. In those patients with cardiogenic shock, I think the important thing is that often these are not emergent patients, but rather urgent uh, patients. And so, if possible, really involving the entire team, heart failure cardiology, heart failure surgery, the intensive care unit, and the interventional teams prior to insertion, I think, is important. And uh, Shinya, Michael, Penelope have all... Uh, uh, touched on these, but uh, really to understand the hemodynamic situation and degree of support that's necessary, uh, whether it's percutaneously implanted impella or surgically implanted, uh, whether LV or RV or a combination uh, is necessary, uh, and ultimately, what are the goals of support? Is this rest with a hope for improvement but no real future options, uh, or is this time for decision-making towards whether a ventricular assist device or transplant is appropriate? And then the scenario which we encounter most often, of course, is the acute MI patient complicated by a cardiogenic shock. So I'm going to illustrate this with a case. This is a 60-year-old gentleman uh, with typical risk factors who came relatively early onset chest pain uh, and then unfortunately suffered a VF arrest in the emergency department. He was resuscitated, found to have an anterior MI, and brought to the cath lab when unfortunately arrested again on transfer to the procedure table. There are simultaneous efforts ongoing uh, between resuscitation, quick insertion of a balloon pump, as well as, uh, of course, emergent coronary angiography. You can see here on the left, the LED is completely occluded right in the proximal portion, and after stent placement, the LED is now nicely open. Uh, nevertheless, he had persistent hypotension, and as you see here, recurrent ventricular fibrillation. And this is a situation where both based on the blood pressures, something like an impella is not going to provide adequate support, and the recurrent ventricular arrhythmia is also not going to provide an impella as adequate support. 
the echocardiography at bedside shows here a profound LV dysfunction because of his anterior infarct. And so he had ECMO uh, cannula implanted. You can see here the venous cannula in the left screen. Uh, and as has been pointed out, we routinely, uh, frankly, always place an arterial perfusion cannula. Uh, this is usually a five French arterial sheath that we place down the SFA. Post-PCI, after the significant resuscitation that occurred in the cath lab, uh, he did have hypothermia that was instituted via the ECMO circuit, uh, as was pointed out. Uh, his echocardiogram demonstrated a tremendous and, frankly, miraculous LV recovery uh, within three days. Uh, the ECMO circuit was decannulated at that time. Uh, he had a prolonged recovery with all the anesthetic he received and so forth, but began purposeful movements, and by day 14, really looked like a million bucks. Uh, and so, to conclude, um, uh, really has been already pointed out, there's no uh, real proven efficacy to any of the support devices we use in terms of reducing mortality, but the early initiation of mechanical support may mitigate the consequences of systemic <laughs> hypoperfusion. The balloon pump really provides pretty minimal support, but it's easy to place, and it may be useful in some of our borderline patients. Uh, that does have a class 2A indication. The impella, the nice thing about the impella CP is it provides a compromise of cardiac output and the ability for a percutaneous insertion, but of course the uh, RV function and oxygenation uh, should be preserved. And ECMO, of course, provides the highest level of support. Uh, Anti-grade limb perfusion really should be strongly considered and, uh, and, as I said, is placed in all or most of our patients. Concomitant balloon pump or impella is also important, uh, both for improving LV uh, ejection and minimizing LV distension, as has already been pointed out. And, of course, a team-based approach to patient management, uh, as we've all discussed already this morning. So thanks very much. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. Like what you heard? Visit Tall Rounds online at clevelandclinic.org slash tallrounds and subscribe for free access to more education on the go.